Listener Production. Kickbump acknowledges the traditional owners and custodians of the land in which we're recording this podcast, the Yulukut Wollum clan of the Boonwurrung, who are part of the Kulin Nation. We pay our respect to their elders, past, present, and emerging, and extend our respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples today. Welcome to the Kickbump Podcast, your fortnightly DM on all things motherhood. One, two, Hi guys. Hi Mandy. Hey. You're back. I'm back. Back La- baby. I-, I love this. <laughs> I've missed you across the table from me. <laughs> Don't tell laws. <laughs> so we have a very, I, I, I thoroughly enjoyed this chat. I mean, I enjoy all the kick bump chats, but I am very excited to share this chat it was with Sean and I'm going to get into that in a second. But before we do, I'll give you guys a little bit of a Harvey update. Yes. There's been, um, He's been yeah, unwell. Yeah, he's been unwell. Poor little Bubba. You he, were sending me photos of him like looking all sad and sick. And I was like, oh, I yeah, just can't deal. I know. And it's like one of those things. We are super, super grateful or fortunate, I should say, that Harvey had a really good run. As in like he's he's been sick before. Mm. Um, and obviously he gets like the snotty nose and all that sort of stuff. But he, we haven't had to have a trip to the hospital up until now. Oh, and cool. so that's good. Um, and we took him because basically we were all very unwell, not feeling the greatest. Mm. And I'd come downstairs from working up in the spare room. I have to like lock myself away in the spare room when I work from home because if he sees me, it's like, well, not only do I get distracted, but mm. he then knows I'm home and it's like, it's like an that, ordeal. It's that video of the guy that's on the news where the kids, you know, the kid comes in. Oh, yes. <laughs> That's that literally yeah. happened on our Zoom call. Yeah, the other exactly. Time, where he just opens the door. He and he's like, "Hello." Opened the door, and I was like, "No, now he knows where I am." Um, and anyway, so I'd come downstairs. Josh was like basically dying on the couch, oh. and Harvey was just lying there. And I was like, "Have either of you had lunch?" And they were just both kind of in all sorts. And Harvey's Josh like, had yeah. said, "Can you make <laughs> yeah, some lunch now? Make me some lunch, mum." Well, Josh had said that his appetite had been gone all day. Is it not Josh's? Harvey. Harvey yeah. wasn't eating anything. Didn't want anything. Even like his favorite foods, like blueberries or something, he might have like one and then didn't want a bar of anything else. So that was a bit off. And then um, I asked if he was still drinking water, and luckily he had at least been doing that. But he said he just wasn't really himself, and he looked really limp and like had no energy. And so I tried to feed him some dinner. He ate a little bit, but again, didn't have much appetite. But I know that to be a common thing when they're sick. So I was not too yeah. worried about it. Um, anyway, I took him outside and I was just sitting with him. And he was just sitting on me. It was still daylight because it was like 6.30 at this point. And he just kind of rested his head on my belly. And he was so limp and lethargic that like all afternoon, if I tried to put him on his feet, like just while I stand up off the couch Aww. or whatever, he just would kind Aww. of like sit flop or over. like flop over or like just cry like he didn't want to be standing. So it was very, very low energy. Anyway, he'd put his head on my belly and then like I was texting someone and by the end of the text, he was asleep. And I was like, this is odd because he, it's not at his bedtime yet. Yeah, he was just buggered. He was just buggered. He'd also slept a lot that day already and we're in daylight outside and I literally, he was like just looking at me mm. 10 seconds ago. So it didn't feel right. He also looked really pale. And so I, I contacted his pediatrician and just kind of was like, "When? what's the point where I should be worried or like yeah, take okay. him? Because yeah. we'd done the test. I knew he had COVID. Mm. 
And the doctor basically just said, well, like, how's his breathing and all this different stuff. And his breathing was off. He was taking really short and quick breaths and he did look pale. So he was like, best to just take him. We went to the hospital. Again, he was just like asleep in my arms while we waited. And because we had COVID, we were like sitting out the front, outside still. Oh, like yeah. they still how got all you, those. Yeah, how do you take yeah. him to the hospital in that scenario? Well, you kind of like pop your head in and then they know you're there. Okay. But we were sitting outside for like half an hour while they were seeing, because we were in emergency. They were seeing mm. obviously other people. But then if a nurse would come out, they had to be like fully like hazmat, oh, you know, hazmat suit. suit suited up to come and see us. Anyway, got him in, had to do all these tests. We were there for ages in the end because a lot of it was just like monitoring and checking and they'd given him some Panadol and Nurofen and just kind of wanted to monitor how he was through that process. And we were eventually allowed to go home because they felt comfortable with him. I felt comfortable with him. He, he like suddenly just sat up and wanted to eat my sandwich and oh. just like suddenly had appetite <laughs> and suddenly had energy. And I was like, oh, okay. So it was fine. We went home and he was fine. But I think what happened in the process is I worked from home for six days straight, right? Mm. And he got very attached yeah. to me being there. Used to it. And the day, the other day when I went to leave, he just fully lost it. Like he sometimes is a bit like, oh, when I have to leave. But yeah. this was like, fully tantrum and Josh is looking at me like, great, this is sick, awesome. Mm. Like, because I tried to pass him to Josh and he didn't want to buy of Josh. And that day was really hard on Josh. Apparently the entire day, he just like didn't want to cuddle him, would like smack him in the face, Aww. throw a toy, threw his food, like was just doing everything, toddler tantrum yeah. territory person thing. Um, <laughs> and Josh had a really, really hard time. And I was like, oh no. It's even at the point where I'm like getting up in the morning, if I have to sit up off the couch to go make myself a coffee or something, he runs after me and he's like mm. fully crying. So I think it's just a stage. I think it was just maybe, yeah, having me home a little bit too much. Well, that it, he's like super attached. He got, it got him excited. He's like, yeah. oh, this is life yeah, now. Sweet. Yeah. And then now, because is he yeah. better? Is he feeling better? Well, yeah, he's, he's definitely better. And yesterday was actually a better day. Then the day was in like because okay. it was the second day I went back to work and he was he was better so yeah, I think take, it is just going to take some getting used to yeah it'll be like a week or whatever yeah until he gets used to the, he's like oh, okay this is life yeah now. yeah because <laughs> that was that the first time your family had had COVID yeah wow yeah it was the first time we I were can't believe you it. dodged it I know for that many years I know crazy it was crazy and it's really interesting because Josh is obviously really struggling with. We've been warned that this phase happens and that it'll come and go. And at one point, he'll just want Josh and he won't mm. want to borrow of me. Yeah. However, I think as the stay-at-home parent, like being the one that is like, no, I don't want to see you. I want yeah, mom and yeah, stuff. Yeah. I can only imagine how hard that is. So poor Josh is, yeah, copying that at the moment. Because yeah. but- he's like, excuse me, who is feeding yeah, you all day exactly. and cuddling you all day? Yeah. I wonder if it's like a common thing. If the kid just like looks forward to the parent that's not home. Yeah, maybe because you know then, because I mean? like, um, let's say the mum is the stay-at-home yeah. parent. They're like, oh my god, dad's home. Yeah, maybe it's like you're more of a like, more exciting. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but anyway, that's that's what's going on at the moment. But we're all good, and thankfully he was all good. So that's my update. Now to today's guest, who I'm very very excited about, Sean Zepps. Yeah, what an energy, what a human. He was such delight to chat to and he's such a delight to follow on social media as well we'll put his information in the show notes because I would highly recommend checking his content out but he's the podcast host of come out wherever you are and he is a proud gay father of twins Mm. and so today we chat a lot and and Sean was very very generous with how much he shared in today's chat it was very insightful it was beautiful what he had to share and I 
thoroughly enjoyed this conversation. Honestly, I feel like, and this isn't to take away from it, all of our guests have been so wonderful, yeah. but honestly, this one just had this, it, well, you're about to hear it. It yeah. just, it really stands out for me yeah. in, in hearing his story, his vulnerability and he just his personality. He's yeah. just a really he's amazing. Um, yeah, really great human. And I think everyone will really love this episode. So without further ado, here is my chat with Sean. Welcome, Sean, to the podcast. I'm so excited to be officially meeting you. <laughs> you too. Thanks for having me. I wanted to kick off the podcast with something you've posted on your Instagram. Uh, it was only a few days ago, and the title was A Day in the Life of a Gay Parent. Hey, man. Hi. Those your kids? They are, yeah. Leaving the wife at home, huh? No wife. Doing it solo? No, not doing it solo. Girlfriend. No girlfriend. Widow? Shit. Not a widow. What's even left? A husband. Kids from a previous marriage? No. Your siblings died and you had to take the kids? Also no. Adoption? No. Fostering? No. What else even is there, bro? Surrogacy. Sorry if that's too personal. That's totally fine. Good, because I've always wanted to Don't know. Don't do it. Top or bottom? <laughs> and I wanted to share that because I think that is a great example of how you are incredibly creative, funny, but also honest. And I just think that that video, it was so, so clever, but also like, that's your, that's your life. That is my life. And like, how do you, how do you feel having to like, that's a huge part of your life having to, I mean, feel like you have to, which you shouldn't have to explain your situation like that. Mm. Any gay parent, any queer parent, any parent who's diverse in any way, shape, or form, a single mother, an interracial couple, a parent with a disability, will completely understand when I say, you do not go into the parenting journey expecting that everyone is going to accept and understand you. Oftentimes, in the media landscape, I hear diverse parents talking as if it is a complete shock, and I always feel for them, and, and I'm uh, slightly envious that those rose-colored glasses existed for mm. them. That's beautiful. Like that they had this life where they kind of went in, waded into the parenting journey, expecting to be accepted as completely normal. As a young gay kid who grew up in the 80s and 90s, I didn't think that this would ever be an option for me. And so when I finally did become a parent, when it finally was possible to legally get married and have children, I did wade into this parenting water expecting this. So I think it the reason I'm able to be funny about it and the reason I'm able to kind of take the piss and, and laugh is because I'm trying to educate. I'm trying to reach a specific group of people. Oftentimes, serious um, energy doesn't always connect. And so I laugh at what hopefully, if I use that tone, hopefully it's going to get people's attention. They're going to watch and pay attention and then hopefully it changes the narrative. But at the end of the day, the reason I'm able to laugh is because I expected this. I knew that this was coming and that does make it a little bit easier. Mm. Oh yeah. It's, it's, it's such an important point for sure. And I think before we get into more questions, I would love you to introduce your kids. Tell us about them you're a proud father of twins, which is, I'm sure, a handful. But who are they? Tell us a little bit about them. I have two five-year-old twins, a boy and a girl. Uh, my daughter's name is Stella. I would describe her as creative, bold, forward, strong-willed, all of these like amazing characteristics that I think are going to make her insanely successful in whatever she does. My son, Cooper, is also five years old. 
equally creative and passionate, but I would say more of a creative wallflower, like does his own thing, is really lost in whatever he is doing at that given time. He's very happy to kind of be by himself and be lost in a creative project, whereas Stella um, enjoys others. Uh, And they are at that stage of the journey, and he parent of twins will understand that it's a roller coaster ride in their ability to be close. They're currently the very best of friends and enjoy spending time together. It has not always been the case and it probably <laughs> won't be the case in the future. So I am relishing in this beautiful friendship they have right now. Yeah. Oh, that's so special. I think it, it is one of those things. I think there's so many moments in parenthood where you like, you have someone say, oh, you, just you wait. Like it's if you're going through a good moment, someone feels the need to come in and ruin it with like, yeah, but that's going to change. It's like yes. if you get them in a good sleep routine. So definitely relish in the moment of them getting along. That's so special. Mm. And it's so interesting to hear, like I've got a pretty good chance if we were to ever go for a second child, you know, and, and be successful in that. It's fairly strong in our genes to have twins. Like yeah. my mom was a twin. My dad was a twin. And my partner's dad was a twin. Oh, amazing. And I think, yeah. <laughs> so like, to be honest, first time around, I asked the nurse like three times, are you sure there's not Can you check there? again? Um, <laughs> Please check again. <laughs> but I love, so I love hearing, I love hearing about twins and the dynamic and, and also hearing about their differences too. I think that's so special. Mm, it's a really special experience um, specifically to have boy-girl twins. I've always found it to be one of the rare gifts um, on earth where you get to kind of witness the way the world works and the way that the world treats different genders Mm. in real time. Mm. When you have two children right by each other's side 24-7, the world interacts with them differently. Mm. Even people with the very best intentions will come up to these small blobs and immediately start focusing on my daughter's beauty like right away and then ignoring his physical appearance entirely. And as they got older, they were so, you know, strangers, Mm. even people who are really close with them are focused more on his strength or his speed. And I just find that to be such a rare gift, especially as a man who Mm. is very privileged in this world to not understand the lived experience of a woman, to be a father of a daughter and have to witness and watch her constantly having these strangers focus on what she's wearing and what her hair looks like. I just think it's a great gift for me to understand that reality and then get to make a decision on how I'm going to properly equip Stella to Mm. deal with that and Cooper. And I think it's special that she'll have, she'll have Cooper as well, like throughout that whole experience, which is, which is so nice. And you've mentioned before, throughout the podcasts and and even your own, and even in that video we played earlier, um, that surrogacy was your route, your journey. Do you mind talking through that experience, you know, the the challenges that you faced or I suppose how you came to that? I think it's, I find it so fascinating. And then also I find it so frustrating and I feel like I'm, I'm not in the right place to say that because I'm, you know, in a different position, but it frustrates me when I hear about some of the challenges. So do you mind talking Mm. through that? Yeah, of course. Thank you so much for asking it at all. Um, Yeah. So we did surrogacy. Back in 2014, when my husband and I first started talking about having children, we actually didn't know that surrogacy was a thing. As naive as we were or uneducated, uh, it just never came up. It never was on our social feeds. It was never in the news or the media. I never knew anyone who spoke openly about the surrogacy experience. In fact, I never really even heard about IVF. Like Mm. Since then, I've found out that family members and very close friends 
or IVF babies or parents. And it just was never spoken about. It was a dirty little secret. And so when we decided to have children, we thought, well, the only stories we've ever heard of gay people successfully having kids were from a previous marriage or adoption. So we just signed up for adoption classes. And while that was happening, I went on Facebook and a girlfriend from university posted that she was pregnant. And so I sent her a message being like, I didn't even read the caption. I was just like, you're pregnant. Yay. And she was like, yeah, thank you. I'm really excited to carry this baby for this person. Mm. And I was like, what is going on right now? What are Mm. you talking Mm. about? So we ended up engaging in like a multi-week-long conversation where she said, I'm a surrogate. I'm currently carrying a child for a man who lives abroad. He's gay. And I'm finished with my family, and this is a gift that I'd like to give to him. And my mind, I'm telling you, Mm -hmm. it blew up. I feverishly started doing research into what surrogacy was. And one of the very first articles that came up was actually an Australian article. And it said... People fly from all around the world to America uh, and to go down the surrogacy path. There are two different versions. A a woman will carry a child for compensation, so she'll be um, paid you know, anywhere between twenty and $50,000. I'm sure Beyonce paid more than that. (laughs) And then there's, in this country, what's currently legal in some of the states in Australia where you do it out of just the goodness of your heart, maybe for a cousin or a very best friend because you just would like to gift them that. So yeah, we just started to do our traditional research and we found an agency in Boston. They paired us with a surrogate shortly after, then an IVF doctor. They pair us with the lawyers. And then a year and a half later, our twins were born. Wow. And so was it from the kind of get-go, was it successful? Because obviously a part of that is the IVF and the IVF journey doesn't always, you know, go the way that you want it to. Yeah. Well, one of your first kind of larger question was about the struggles and mm. the road and the journey. And I, I want to call out, we were really blessed that our egg donor was able to gift us multiple eggs, um, that the combination of the egg and the sperm into embryos was successful for um, 90% of those that the freezing and unfreezing process left all of them viable and that the implementation was successful on our first attempt. So for anyone listening, you know, if you have friends who have ever gone through IVF, you know that a lot of couples will go through multiple versions and each of those stages is extremely expensive. It's like the cost of a car every single time you have to go down this journey. So we didn't have to experience those struggles. I think the struggle is the financial cost. So mm. Josh and I spent $200,000 US um, in total on that process. And that is something we are privileged to be able to afford. Mm. But that was the biggest struggle and continues to be the biggest struggle. That's something we don't think about on a day-to-day basis. But the reality is I will continue to pay off that loan for a long time. Mm. And I think the big struggle for me was... I fell in love with a man just like everybody else. Yeah. I have always wanted to be a parent. And there was this massive roadblock in front of me. Mm. Societal pressure, my religious upbringing that told me that wasn't an option for me. And when I finally met the man of my dreams and I finally wanted to become a father, there were these huge hurdles that I had to jump over. This financial barrier. And I'm not naive to the fact that 
this is not something that I naturally have the right to do. I had the hurdles were necessary and I would do them over and over again. But I'd say the biggest struggle, financial aside, is that I was madly in love and wanted to become a dad. And I couldn't just do it like everyone else just did it. I mm-hmm. couldn't just have a child and nine months later become a parent. I had to wait for years. I had to wait for the laws to catch up with me. I had to deal with the societal pressure of so many homophobes who Mm. disagreed with us and our ability to have it. And I think that pressure is something a lot of parents are living with just to get to have the child. Oh my God, absolutely. And it is, I mean, the financial thing, it's, um, I mean, thank you for, for going into that kind of detail because I think it is that thing that until you hear that, you just, you're so unaware of that kind of process and, and what's involved. And um, it is so full on and it is, it, it is unfair. And it's like, it's something that I hope, I mean, as you said, biologically, like there's going to be a hurdle, right? Yeah. But like, I, I hope in the future that that's the only major hurdle and that other than that, Mm. society makes it a whole lot easier, a whole lot more f- affordable. And it, it is so much more than that. So did that happen in America, the surrogacy? Yeah. Yeah, because yep. it's different in Australia, isn't it? As in like you can't pay someone to carry your baby. That's correct. So every yeah. single state in Australia has a very different law, which okay. is just like it would be in America. Mm. So in America, we were living in New York and we weren't able to do it in that state. And I'm from New Hampshire and we couldn't do it in that state. Okay. But we were living in Los Angeles and it was legal there. And our surrogate was from Minnesota and it was legal there. So it's just a case-by-case basis. Here in Australia, that's correct. So yeah, okay. you must find a surrogate who is willing to do the process for free, which doesn't really sit well with me because she's yeah. risking her life yeah. um, and doing this unbelievable thing for you, which of course there are beautiful women who are just saints and want to do this out of the goodness of their heart. And I respect them immensely, but there's also clothes, food, mm. transportation mm. costs. Um, like if I could just give our surrogate endless amounts of money for the gift that she gave us. I absolutely would. It's not about money. And yet I think it is in many ways. Mm. Um, I believe every person who carries a child, whether it is a surrogate or not, deserves to be paid by the government. Mm. So I'd love to see that become a future where women are getting massive stipends just for being pregnant and bringing the next generation into the world. And especially women who are doing it not for themselves, but for others. Mm. Oh my gosh, for sure. For sure. I recently had um, Moana Hope on the podcast and she spoke about uh, her and Belle's process and how Belle was pregnant first. And and I, I asked her like how they came to that decision. Yeah. Obviously different position to you guys because they were both able to carry. But when it came to this journey for you, how did you guys decide between the two of you kind of whose sperm was going to be a part of it? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, and It's actually one of those questions that I think a lot of people feel uncomfortable asking. And I don't think at all, if you're asking it with kindness and interest and empathy, like it's actually not a super challenging question, especially because we're all interested in what happens when you have to have a conversation at all around that. Yeah, that's it. Right? Yeah. The reality is most couples come together and then they just have the child. Yeah. Um, For us, we were actually, we didn't need to have a conversation about it because the egg donor is someone that is related to me. 
Um, we don't disclose that information because it's our children's story and we'll want to wait until they're older and they might feel comfortable sharing that themselves. Mm. But because she was related to me in some way, obviously I could not be the sperm donor for all of the reasons we know if we understand mm-hmm. biology. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, there wasn't really a conversation that had to be had. What I will say is we sat down before that decision was made and we asked ourselves, what is important to you throughout the parenting journey or experience? Is it important to you to have that biological connection or not? When you are a straight couple having children and struggling through that process, you often have to challenge yourself and admit things that society doesn't feel very comfortable hearing. It is okay to want desperately to have biological children. That desire does not mean you are a nasty person, Mm. a selfish individual. It does not mean that you are against people who adopted, that you do not believe in the power of fostering. We have to be honest with ourselves and we have to be honest with our partners. So for us, we had to really talk about, is biology important to you? And the truth was, it wasn't for each of us. We both grew up in a time where we couldn't even have children and we weren't allowed to get married. And the internalized homophobia in both of us was so strong and so powerful that just an opportunity to parent, just to love children and give them a safe environment, that's all that mattered. Mm. And so for us, it was like once the eggs were gifted to us, it meant that my husband was the sperm donor. And that was just basically a, a beautiful cherry on top of a Sunday of getting the opportunity to, to be fathers. Oh, I love that. And thank you. Thank you so much for sharing that. Mm. I think that is super important that those kind of conversations for, for all relationships. But I think I think that was really beautiful how you put it, because I think to to hear even out loud to have someone else give permission for having those like thoughts and, and feelings. Sometimes you just need to hear it from someone else to know yeah. that it's OK. I think that's r- really special. So thank you. Mm. You've made a few references to when you were growing up, you know, feeling like what was possible for you and what wasn't possible for you. And and that may have been because of how you grew up or your surroundings. And you've recently gone into this a little bit on your podcast in a super helpful way. Um, So I want to share the audio clip before I continue. It might feel really hard for you as the person listening. Mm. It might feel really hard for you. You have these fantasies of your little Alex growing up and marrying a girl. Oh, it's so hard that your dreams that you did not ask the person permission to have, you just had on your own, that they're breaking that. But on the other end of your lack of willingness to learn or grow or change is a child, even if they're an adult, is a child who's just looking for love and acceptance. It's not so difficult. Wow. Sorry. Mm -hmm. (laughs) No child wakes up and goes, I want to lose my family. Mm. Oh, I just can't wait to ruin my aunt or grandmother's day. Oh, let's see what it's like to not be invited to Christmas. Can't wait for that. Mm. No one does that. But on the other end is someone making a decision. They are purposely deciding, I'm not going to try. Who they are, I'm not going to put the effort in. And so when you hear something and you're not ready for it, just remember that like every word you say from here on out, no matter how comfortable, it is a choice. You are choosing that. Mm-hmm. You're allowed to lie and go, sounds great, really proud of you. And then go home, cry in your bed, find a community of people who don't understand it, do your own research on your own. But you get to decide to be a nice person. Exactly. That's on you. And I have to say, when I 
watched this for the first time because I've watched it a few times and I've even shown, like I showed my partner because I just thought it was so powerful. And even seeing you get emotional as well about it, I just like, it's so important. It's so important what you spoke to. And I think for me as well as a parent, I I want to make sure that I'm bringing my son Harvey up, you know, in this correct way where he feels comfortable to be himself and to feel like he can talk to me about anything. And and I'm sure everyone listening as a parent would want that kind of openness and comfortability. But as you kind of touched on, it's okay if you don't fully understand things, but that moment that that something like that is shared with you is is such a important moment for the other person and like not to make it about you. And I, th- I thought that was so strong. And I just, I'd love to know, you know, especially as a parent yourself and how you're bringing your kids up as well. Is there things that happened to you when you were younger that may have shaped that internal homophobia you spoke to? Yeah, it's really hard for me to listen to that audio clip. Yeah. I think it's important for people to understand. I was raised Roman Catholic um, in a beautiful Catholic community and a family um, that benefited greatly from the teachings of Jesus Christ. Uh, I had a wonderful upbringing that was surrounded by support and the very best of what um, the Catholic faith is able to provide. Even with the most supportive parents, a mom and a dad who would stop me on a regular basis and remind me that God loved everyone, wink, wink, nudge, nudge. They knew exactly what they were saying and they knew who they were saying it to. They knew as soon as I was two or three, that I was clearly very different. Mm. Even with the most supportive parents who told me on a regular basis that God loved me and that they loved me no matter what, you can't unpick the rude realities of society's understanding of what it means to be, quote, normal. Mm. Everywhere I looked was an example of something. Sorry. I always get so emotional talking about this. Um, Everywhere I looked was an example of something that I could not have. I tried so hard. Every day, I prayed every single day, multiple times a day. And I faked it. And I had sex with women. And I was in relationships. I did everything I could for a decade. It is not without trying. I did not want this for myself. People ask me all the time, I would not wish anyone to have an experience of being other, especially in a world where every TV show, every song, every music video, every speech, every president, every prime minister, they're all straight and you are not that and there's nothing you can do to fix it. And so even though I had this family that was like, it doesn't matter, we don't care, we love you, it does not matter. It's the battle inside that you have to fight through. And so as I came to age and gained confidence in who I was and fell in love with being gay and believed that my family supported me, I finally believed that what they were saying was true. I then had a gift and the gift as a parent is to remind all parents listening, you do not have access to the script in your child's head. You might think you understand exactly who they are. You might have very strong inferences or hypotheses based off of your understanding of them, but no one knows what is truly going on. You have to create a safe space for any possibility. It is your job as a parent 
to consider the worst case scenario and create a safe space for your child to come to you and be honest. For such a long time, I was battling so intensely that I didn't feel that I had a right to speak my truth to my parents. And that boundary, that division that was created between us was dangerous. It put me in unsafe situations. It, it made me struggle internally. It led to dangerous actions on myself because I didn't feel that I could be myself around them. And that comes down to really simply the language that we use, the examples that we show our children. You do have a decision on how you talk about your child's life. It is up to you to say, do you have a girlfriend or boyfriend? When they ask about being married, it is up to you to decide to say you might have a husband or a wife. That simple little addition of that word increases the likelihood that your child, if they are different, feels that you're a safe space. Mm. My parents loved me so much, but they didn't have that tool. They didn't have that. They didn't know. Mm -hmm. So when aunts and uncles would come over and they'd say, Sean, do you have a girlfriend? Mm. It just fed into this belief that I was broken and that I was bad. And no one was trying to cause me harm. So mm. I just want people to, to think about the fact that if you want your children to come to you, if they are different, or maybe they're just exploring it, mm. let's just pretend it's just a phase. Let, like, let's use the stereotype mm. that people thrust upon people coming out. Let's pretend it's just a phase. You still want your child to be able to communicate that phase to you. Mm. You need to be the safe space, and it's all about language. Oh, that is, I mean, first of all, thank you for being so generous in how much you shared then. I really appreciate that. And I just think that that is such a such a strong and important message that words totally matter. Mm. Words matter. And it's it's like if that's all, like that, that is quite simple really for us to, to change. And so it's like for anyone who thinks it's hard, it's like it's not. It's, it's actually not when you break it down like that. And I think that is such a simple but super important um, thing that we can we can change. Thank you so much for sharing that. Mm, you're welcome. Um, I have a bit of a fun thing to end on. I I have a feeling from from getting to know you through your content that you might be like me and be a bit of a Disney fan. Am I correct? <laughs> Huge. Yeah. Great. Awesome. <laughs> Same. <laughs> so I would love to know um, what your favorite Disney movie is and why. Oh wow. Okay. <laughs> when I met my husband. Yeah. He said to me on like one of our first dates, what's your favorite movie? Mm. And I said, <laughs> Beauty and the Beast. Oh my God. And he's like, no, 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 not your favorite Disney movie. Like, what's your favorite like adult movie? And I was like, no, I heard you. <laughs> it's Beauty and the Beast. Yeah. From a really young age, I was a musical theater performer. I went to university for musical theater. I danced my entire life. So obviously, I've always been drawn to musical theater. But in particular, that was kind of, that movie was like a gateway drug for me into self-expression. Disney always gave me permission outside of gender stereotypes, Mm -hmm. outside of like a binary for me to just sing and express myself. And, And I think from a young age, usually when kids are watching Disney movies and singing at the top of their lungs... There's no need to analyze why. Like, they're clearly created for kids to enjoy. And so that was just a safe haven for me. It was a place for me to continually go back and pop in that VHS, dating myself, uh, and watching it on repeat and falling in love, right? And (laughs) memorizing every single word and 
knowing every song. And it stuck with me as I got older. I kept on going back to Beauty and the Beast as like a a warm blanket. Mm -hmm. Like it reminded me of when there weren't rules or restrictions and I could just be. And so, yeah, it's my favorite movie and I don't care what anyone says about that. (laughs) I love that so much. It is, I mean, it is such a beautiful movie. And I, I, for a long time, I I would struggle to answer the question as to what my favorite Disney movie was because there's so much I love about so many of them. But I think yeah, yeah, yeah. the one I always come back to and I think when I really think about it is because it connects to things that I did as a child so much, but is Toy Story. And for me, it's because I genuinely believed that when I left the room, all of my toys came alive. And I believed that like up until I was in my teens, I still believed it. I used to keep this like folder and I would be like a teacher for a lot of like my beanie kids and stuff. And I would, yes. <laughs> I pretended they did their own little maths tests and stuff. I genuinely thought they were all alive in my room. And as soon as I left the door, just like when Andy did, that they'd all come alive. <laughs> and I just think And it's, what's wrong with that? No, Absolutely nothing. Nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong it's with so that. beautiful. Um, but yeah, it's like, it's one of my favorite movies. And, and just as you said, it's probably up there. Absolutely. With one, not just under the Disney, but it's just one of my favorite movies in general because it's so special. And it's, it's definitely a warm blanket for me. So I can absolutely relate to that. Yes. I will say like as I get older and I take my kids to the new Disney movies, I'm just blown away at how those movies have really always been made for adults too. Yes. Oh my God. It's like, so true. My husband and I went to Toy Story 3 on a date yeah. by ourselves. Yes. Yeah. Like we went to see Moana Mm. in theaters before, like without children. They're just really good. They They are. are, And they do remind you about the importance, especially the modern ones that are really heroing women and like strong female role models where the early Disney movies maybe didn't do that so well. (laughs) Sometimes I just go and I'm like, anyone who does the little eye roll about a Disney movie, like, oh, you're into Disney. It's like the same type of person who rolls their eye at Taylor Swift. I'm like, just Oh my God, I know. It's so true. You're angry for no reason. (laughs) Please just cut it out. We get it. You don't want to play, but the rest of us will. Yeah. (laughs) A hundred percent. Couldn't agree more. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much. You've just been an absolute pleasure to have on. And I think what you're doing in the way of being honest and open, but humorous and, and entertaining is is such a great way of capturing people's attention and, and getting the right message out there. So continue to do what you're doing. Um, I've absolutely loved going through all your content. So I will pop all your information, you know, in the show notes and everything, because I just think everyone who doesn't already know you should <laughs> definitely go and check you out. But thank you for coming on. Thank you so much. And thank you for giving me a platform at all. Um, It's not very often that gay dads get a chance to tell their story in the parenting space. And so I'm really appreciative. Thank you so much for listening into today's Kick Bump podcast, guys. I absolutely loved that chat. Sean was so generous with how much he shared. And I'm sure you guys got as much out of it as I did. And if you would love to hear or see more of Sean. Obviously, he is on social media, but his podcast, Come Out Wherever You Are, is incredible. And you can listen to that wherever you get your podcasts or download the Listener app to listen for free. And a reminder, if you would love to be a part of our Kick Bump Facebook community that is available to you, it is basically a virtual mothers group where mums or even if you're not even pregnant or not even trying, but it's just something that you're thinking about or interested in learning more about. It is a community. It's a very safe space. You can share what you're going through. You can ask questions. I personally 
love it. I get a lot. <laughs> I ask a lot of even tips and questions for myself all the time. Um, but you are welcome to join that Keep Bump Facebook community if you wish. And obviously, if you would like to check out Keep It Cleaner, you can head to our website keepercleaner.com and you can check out our kick bump stuff as well on the app and that is it for me today i am steph claire smith on instagram and i'll be back in your ears on monday with lawsy for another kick pod episode thanks for listening bye